0: Hello everyone, this is Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, and I'm Al Sedano. Thank you all for downloading this, and thanks to everyone who downloaded episode 0. I enjoyed recording that, but I'm looking forward to actually getting to talk about some Adam Warlock comics this time. Well, actually not this time, that won't be this episode. Uh, We will be talking about a comic this time, but not exactly an Adam Warlock one. We're going to be covering Fantastic Four 66 in this episode which is part one of the two-part introduction of Adam, but he doesn't exactly appear in this issue at all. However, his presence is felt throughout the majority of this issue, and the next issue does make more sense if we've already covered this one, so what the hell. Now, just in case any of you aren't familiar with the Fantastic Four, I'm going to give you a brief rundown of the main characters that are going to appear in this issue and the next one. First off, we have Mr. Fantastic, a.k.a. Reed Richards. He is the leader of the Fantastic Four, and is a genius and inventor of the highest order, and is pretty much considered the smartest man on Earth in the Marvel Universe. It was during a test of an experimental rocket of his that the Fantastic Four gained their powers, and he has the ability to stretch his body. He is, I think at this time they are married, to the invisible girl, Susan Storm Richards. Sue, as her name implies, has the ability to turn invisible and she also can project invisible force fields. Back in the 60s when this story was written, her main job in the group was to basically be the pretty girl. Nowadays, Sue is considered the most powerful member of the group and her name has been changed to this invisible woman, but she's still pretty. The Human Torch, Johnny Storm, is Sue's younger brother. as his name can sound, he has the ability to generate flames over his body and become, well, human torch. He can also fly, generate fireballs, shoot flame blasts, and other flame-related powers. Uh, Johnny's into hot rod cars and girls, and is usually considered to be not that bright. And the Thing, Benjamin J. Grimm, is the final core member of the FF. Ben was Reed's college roommate and best friend. When the four gained their powers, uh, Ben was mutated into a hulking, rock-skinned monster with great strength and Reed has felt guilty over this since the beginning and has been trying to find a cure to change Ben back to normal. And besides the main four, there are two other important characters that are going to appear in these two issues. Crystal and Alicia. Crystal is Johnny's current girlfriend and possesses elemental powers, although I don't think we're going to see them in this issue or the next one. Several times over the years, she's served as a member of the Fantastic Four when somebody's had to leave the group for one reason or another. And the final main character is Alicia Masters. She's Ben's girlfriend, and she's a gifted but blind sculptress. Ben spends a lot of time worrying that Alicia will either leave him because of how he looks, even though she can't see it, or that she won't love him if he were to change back to normal because what she fell in love with was the thing. The issue starts with Reed, Sue, and Ben at Alicia's apartment looking for her, but she's not there. Ben is worried that she's out with somebody else, despite Reed's assurance of Alicia's love. When Reed moves in to reassure Ben, he gets swatted away by the back of the thing's hand and Ben storms out. Reed comes too after Ben leaves and dramatically vows to find a way to cure him someday. The scene then changes to a building called the Bee which will be called the Beehive, which is located somewhere on a rocky remote plateau. Inside Alicia and Hamilton arrive walking through what appears to be a blank screen. Actually, we don't know his name's Hamilton yet, but we will on about a panel. They are met by the three head scientists of the Beehive, Zolta, Morlach, and Shinsky. They are all world-famous scientists who have faked their deaths so they can experiment in peace. Before they tell Alicia why they brought her there, they want to test her by having her sculpt a bust of Morlach's head using an invention of their own, and an electronic blade which can cut through stone-like butter, Alicia, of course, passes their test. And then we move back to New York, where Ben is miserably walking through a park, wallowing in his own self-misery. On his walk, he meets several fans, who are able to quickly turn his mood around, and he decides to go find Reed and apologize. Back at the Baxter Building, which is the headquarters for the Fantastic Four, Johnny is returning after looking for Crystal, who was waiting there for him. She's mad at him for deserting her the other day to help out the rest of the FF, when he could have brought her with him but he was worried about her safety. Johnny and Crystal bicker for a bit before making up. Then they head downstairs to find Reed and Sue in Reed's lab. Johnny, recognizing the device that Reed is working on as his heat image tracer, and assumes someone's missing. Reed explains that his device can project a picture of something that has happened in the recent past by tracing the heat images, which may still be remaining in the area. Reed is convinced that something has happened to Alicia since she wouldn't leave town without telling Ben, and her purse was still in her apartment, but no one saw her leave. We go back to the beehive now, and the scientists are giving Alicia a tour, showing, (laughs) in quotes, her all of the men they have working on their experiment. Before they can explain to her what the experiment is, or what they really need her there for, there's an explosion because he's loose again. The guards are sent to try and keep the mysterious he from breaking through. The scientists explain to Alicia that their purpose is to eradicate war, crime, and illness by creating a perfect race of human beings. And after years of experiments, they finally resulted in an embryonic creature in a tank. Over time, it grew until finally it reached adulthood. And once it reached adulthood, it somehow escaped from its tank one night. Zolta, Morlach, and Shinsky attempted to corral him, but were overpowered and managed to escape from their own creation. This he or him radiated a, bl- a blinding power, and since the lights were still off when it defeated them, no one has seen what it looks like yet. And that's what they want Alicia for. They want her to try and get close to it, and if she can touch his face, then sculpt the face so they can see what it looks like. Back in New York, the thing is at Alicia's apartment building talking to her landlord. The landlord tells him she doesn't know if Alicia's back yet since she never saw her leave. And since she walked through the wall, her wall of Hamilton, no one actually saw her leave. But tells him the rest of the FF are in her apartment. Ben goes to Alicia's apartment demanding that Reed tell him what's going on. And Sue tells him about Reed's heat image tracer. While Reed finishes setting up the tracer, Ben apologizes for hitting him. And then his own panic about Felicia rants and raves once again. Using the tracer, they see Alicia react to something in her apartment, and then see Hamilton approach her, take her hand, and walk with her through the wall. In the Beehive, Alicia and Hamilton are gearing up to meet the creature. Alicia has a container of clay in her back, so she can sculpt on the spot, and Hamilton is bringing some kind of gun. Morlock is not happy that Hamilton is disobeying his orders to go go with Alicia, but doesn't stop him either. A huge door is open to the section that the creature is in, and Hamilton and Alicia go in. On the other side of the door is a cavern, and shortly they are blocked by a flaming barrier created by him to warn them away. In New York, Reed thinks the bracelet he saw Hamilton wear is how he was able to transport himself and Alicia through the wall, and he's going to try and see if he could duplicate the circuitry that he sees so they can follow. And we end back in the cavern as the energy from him grows brighter, as Alicia and Hamilton realize he is coming closer to them. Well, that's it for the synopsis of this issue, so let's go over some of the notes I took. Okay, first of all, the cover for this issue has lots of Kirby crackle, and kind of a goofy look on the Thing's face, but the cover does, I think, does kind of pop or stand out. Now, page one, we see Reed, Sue, and Thing in Alicia's apartment and I have to say the few sculptures and the puppets are a nice touch as not only she's sculptress but she is the stepdaughter of the Fantastic Four villain puppet master and sculptures make sense as a decoration for a blind person as well as a sculptress but why does she have all the pictures on her wall I mean what's the point of them page two we got a nice little scene of Ben backhand bitch slapping Reed which is pretty cool and then on page three um. Right after we have Reed's dramatic vow to find a permanent cure for Ben, which, just to give you a spoiler, will never happen. Never. And then it's changes the scene to the Beehive, which I don't think is actually called the Beehive by anyone in the issue. I forget. But I think it's just told in the, in the uh, caption boxes. And no real locations given for the Beehive. It just says it's above a rocky plateau in what is possibly the remotest spot on Earth so I don't know maybe the Himalayas somewhere in the mountains I mean it has to be somewhere damn remote because this building looks huge and bizarre and somebody would have noticed it before but I don't see how it resembles a beehive on page 4 we got Alicia and Hamilton walking through that crazy teleporting machine and when they meet the sci- the three scientists in charge of the beehive they are some of the most built buff scientists ever I mean they look like the friggin rock and there is no way to remember which one's which. I mean we had the names and I had, but I had to keep referring back to the names when they introduced themselves when I was writing the synopsis just to figure out who was who. So Morlach is the seems to be the big guy in charge. He's uh, studies nuclear physics and he's bald guy. Shinsky does biology and genetics and he's the white haired guy. And Zolta is electronics and he's Blonde guy, with, blonde guy with pipe. So I think if we're going to to refer them any more in the notes, that's what it's going to be. Bald guy, white hair guy, blond guy with pipe. On pages 6 through 8, we see the thing walking through the park, and he quickly goes from despair to giddy. I mean, yeah, he got a couple people talking to him, and he gets a kiss from the pretty lady, and everyone's saying how much they love him. So, sure, that would help bring up his spirits a little bit, but he really jumps from one extreme of emotion to another. I mean, and that's not just stuff that happens in this issue, in case you haven't read Fantastic Four before. That happens a lot to him, constantly. I mean, I would almost wonder if he's actually bipolar, or perhaps because of becoming the thing that changes his brain chemistry to the point where he became bipolar. Because that does seem to be the best explanation I can think of. Okay, on page 8 and 9 now, we show Johnny showing back up at the Baxter building and meeting up with Crystal. And it does their interaction doesn't really much to do with this st- particular story. It's just the overarching story of what's happening with the characters. but I do like it. It's fun and goofy, and while it's not very mature, we have to remember that Johnny is probably i think he's just about eighteen at this point, and Crystal has to be about a year or two older or younger than him, so she's somewhere between sixteen and twenty, so not very mature, but neither are they and I don't blame her for being mad at him uh I didn't read the last few issues, so I didn't see what happened, but based on their conversation, he left her when he went to go help the rest of the team, and he left her because it was too dangerous. And We don't see much of her powers used here, except when she blasts him with a gust of wind, but she's pretty powerful. And at this time, I would say she's definitely more powerful than Sue, and probably Reed. But considering this came out in the 60s, most likely the situation was just too dangerous for a girl, as they would say. Alright, page 10. I thought it might have been a bit strange that Reed assumed Alicia would check in with somebody when she left. But it's New York City, so I'm going to assume the building has a doorman. And considering the fact that she's kind of a famous sculptress, she's dating one of the members of the FF, the doorman probably knows who she is. Let's not forget the fact that she is blind, and I'm sure that's probably another reason why the doorman would notice if she, you know, her comings and goings. Alright, page 13. We're seeing the... uh, flashback to when him first escaped and we're seeing the guards you know, attacking and then running in terror but in the middle we see the three main scientists showing up and uh, not that it matters for the story but I like to touch that since the escape happens in the middle of the night you can see them kind of not in their uniforms as we see them in early in the, the rest of the issue but they look like they're wearing their pajamas or some type of sleepwear and then we go to page 15 and so after bald guy white haired guy and blonde with pipe guy, tell Alicia how dangerous it was just for them facing him briefly, doesn't really make her seem that smart to be willing to find him, and get close enough to actually touch his face so she knows, so she can sculpt it. I mean, um, Alicia, you've seen enough dangerous situations to know that this is probably not a good idea. And on that same page, by the way, just to go back with uh, the fact that the thing is bipolar, we show him show we see him showing up at her apartment building with flowers and he goes from giddy again back to panic stricken. To the point that on page sixteen he is pretty damn close to rage and I'm waiting for him to start smacking teammates around again. Which he doesn't, but would have been very amusing. We're now on page seventeen, which shows Reed using his um what's it called again? Heat image inducer to see what happened in Alicia's apartment and how she left. And okay, I can't say I know much about the science behind it, so I'm going to accept that Reed can build something that shows from residual heat the images of what happened in the past, or recent past. Okay, I'll go if that can happen. And it has no sound, and that makes sense. I can get that. That's fine with me. But full color? I mean, shouldn't it be black and white or just kind of vague images of heat color. You know, like when they show the heat image cameras. Kind of like in the movie Predator. Predator, Where you see how the Predator sees and he sees, like, you know, the heat. So, he colors so you can see kind of shapes. That I would get, but this is just full color. You know, full color, you know, you see your, dress. You know, let, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. That part doesn't work. But, it, you know, sixty early 60s Marvel pseudoscience. Alright, page 18. We got Alicia and Hamilton getting ready to go on their mission to find him. And they're putting on some kind of green spandex outfits. And I don't know why. I don't see them say why they're using it. I mean, maybe it's protective. But then again, if it was protective enough to protect them from his powers, why didn't they just go after him, The scientists go after him with their soldiers themselves? I'm just thinking these pervy scientists want to put a girl into some kind of skin-type spandex, and since she's blind, she can't see them checking her out. All right, now we're on the last page, page 20. And the last panel shows Alicia and Hamilton facing just the intense power of him, but not him himself. And I think it does end the book on a nice cliffhanger. And when I first read it, I was looking forward to seeing what would happen when they finally met him. So, overall, I did like this issue. I found the scientists of the Beehive to be pretty forgetful. But the issue was well done, with half the story showing us what was happening to Alicia and the other half, the FF, dealing with her disappearance. like I said before, Adam really does not appear in this issue, but I think you'll agree that, at least in Alicia's half of the story, once we get to page 10, where he first attacks, his presence is felt throughout the rest of the story. All right, so if you want to read this issue, which is Fantastic 466, you can, of course, go find the original copy. I'm not sure how much it would cost, but I'm sure you could at least find a really ratty copy for several bucks. You can also find it in the reprint book, Marvel's Greatest Comics, it was reprinted in issue 49 and 50 not sure which issue it fully appears in. I know back then when they did the reprint books because they had a different page a lot sometimes they had a different page count than the original stories. sometimes in those old reprint books, Marvel would just kind of include the first few pages from one you know from the original story in one issue and then continue the rest of it in the next. so it might be fully in issue 49 it might be part in 49 part of 50. You can also get Marvel Masterworks of Fantastic Four Volume 7, which will reprint this issue in full color, or if you want to go cheaper and get in black and white, you can get Essential Fantastic Four Volume 4. And of course there's a few digital options as well. You can get the 44 years of Fantastic Four DVD, or the Fantastic Four Silver Server The Complete Collection DVD, which reprints this issue, Or you can get a subscription to Marvel's Digital Comics Unlimited and read it online, which is what I am doing. So, we do have some news about some new Adam Warlock comics that will be coming out this year. I don't see a publication date given yet, but at some point this year, 2014, we are supposed to receive a 100-page Thanos original graphic novel written and drawn by Jim Starlin called Thanos The Infinity Revelation. And it will feature Thanos teaming up with Adam Warlock against the Silver Surfer. Uh, For further info on this book, uh, you can go check out the link on the podcast Tumblr page, which is a link to an article uh, interview with Jim Starlin regarding this. And once it comes out, I will give it a few weeks for anyone who's planning on picking it up to not be spoiled. And then I'll be covering it on the show. According to the article, Jim Starlin has two other Thanos projects planned for this year or next year. Um, I no word yet on if Adam was going to be featured in those, but if he is, rest assured, I will be covering it here.
1: Welcome to the future, our future, and soon to be your future. Well, until the next retcon, or reboot. Welcome to the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, forged in the past by tales of the future, the Legion of Substitute Podcasters. And now the secret origin of the Legion of Substitute Podcasters. You know, someone should do a podcast about the Legion of Superheroes. Yes. Yes, they should. We should ask the guys at CGS to do it. But aren't they kind of busy? Oh, no. It would be a great idea. I'm not so sure about this. I mean, they have the weekly podcasts they do. They are planning all their con appearances, setting up interviews with comic talent, scheduling the next super show, and restocking the bar for their next anniversary episode. Oh, come on. It'll be an easy sell. Let's go in and tell them about it. Wow, they are tough. What are you talking about? We never got past Tasha and the bogs. Choke. Now our dreams will never come true. No, wait. I'm having a flash of precognition. Really? No, but we need a plot device to get to the point, don't we? True, Dad. I see us talking across wide distances with other Legion fans. I see us doing it. Paul and Rick, don't you see? We're the Legion of Super Podcasters. (laughs) We can't be the Legion of Super Podcasters. We were just kicked out of the club. Then we'll be the Legion of Substitute Podcasters. One day we'll prove that we are worthy. Yes! We've heard that people have a tough time understanding Legion of Superheroes. It's hard to keep track of which lad last boy or girl is which. And what the hell's a Xanthu anyway? Let us make that a lot easier for you. Join Paul French, Rick Croxton, Darren Noel, and our mystery Legionnaire for a fun ride through the history of the future. www.legionofsubstitutepodcasters.com
0: What you just heard was the promo from Legion of Substitute Podcasters. The Legion of Substitute Podcasters is one of the podcasts that I mentioned in Episode 0 that were instrumental in helping or encouraging me to do this show. So I do hope you check them out. And I also want to thank another podcast, another person that I didn't get a chance to last time. Uh, this is thanks to Brian Zeno from the show The Podwits. Uh, you can find them on Podwits.com and on iTunes for helping to promote my show on his Facebook page. And as long as there is a promo for the Podwits, you will hear that sometime in the next few episodes. I didn't have this set up while I was recording episode zero, but the show now has an email address. So if you want to send praise, hate, or any type of comments in between, you can send them to resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. And actually, even if you don't send anything to me, I encourage you to send an email or iTunes review or comment to another podcast you listen to it's been said somewhere else. I believe by Peter Rios on the daily Rios podcast that feedback is the currency of podcasts. So, you know, even if you don't send it to me, send some kind of feedback to another podcast you enjoy. Trust me, the the people who do the shows will be very thankful. And that's it for episode one. Um, Hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you will be back with episode two, which should be out on March 1st when we will cover fantastic four 67 and we will finally get to see him Take care and goodbye, everybody. The opening music for Resurrections and Adam Warlock podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free info music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. One word. Links both can be found on my Tumblr page.